Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, talking about uh, oops, I won't be talking about anything if I don't get Reddit going. Um, Hail and Farewell, Chapter Eight, which I believe we finished last night, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh, so cool, man! High five! Ah, oh, it's giving us a, a, a sarcastic high five. That's a sarcastic high five. Just in case that wasn't clear. Um, whoops, sorry, whacked the microphone. Um, just. It just gives you those vibes of people that brag and, you know, thinks he's so smart and all these humble brags about the women that he's with. It's just cringy. Um, so, I don't know. Congratulations, George. Everyone thinks you're so cool and smart and sexy. If you insist. Welp, says Swim. At least I'm learning a lot about art that I did not know. The way that George talks about women is unpleasant. Here is Orlando de Lassa's Self Regina. Oh yeah, on YouTube. Um, Descent of the Cross Painting. Rubens' Elevation of the Cross. Rubens' Crowning of the Virgin. Van Dyck's Paintings. And Eek's Adoration of the Lamb. Now, Adoration of the Lamb was one I'm very interested in. Because that was the one that they said was like one of the best. Best of all times. Oh yeah, it's a lamb on a stage in the middle of a large garden. Babylon in the background. It's not Babylon, but some kind of a, you know, Babylon place. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Anthony Van Dyke's paintings. They just look very old school and French. Uh, elevation of the Cross, yeah, very religion yep, 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 yep. Descent from the Cross, yeah, they're pulling him down, he's not looking good at all. And, um, yeah, cool. Some beautiful paintings. It's not very good to try to describe what a painting looks like in audio medium. So, uh, let's continue reading. Oh, oops, control, find, oh, sorry, I'm yawning, I'm a bit tired. Chapter 9. The scene you want me to write isn't at all in character with the Irish people. So you've said, Edward, we talked the matter out in Rothenburg, but men's instincts are all the same all over the world. If you don't feel the scene, perhaps it would be as well if you allowed me to sketch it out for you. It is all quite clear, just as you like. Edward said he didn't mind, and I went up to my bedroom and came down about tea time to look at him for him, anxious to read the pages I had written. He consented to hear the scene, but it seemed to me that he listened to it resentfully, and when I had finished, it did not surprise me to hear that he didn't like it at all, and then he begged me, almost hysterically, not to press my alteration upon him, crying aloud, leave me my play. Then, turning suddenly, he thanked me effusively for the trouble I had taken, and besought me to try to understand that he couldn't act otherwise. Assigning as a reason that I was given, giving the play a different colour from what he intended. I'm sorry, but what is to be done? You admit the play requires alteration. Yes, but I can make the alterations myself. And all, and away he went up the slippery staircase of the old castle to his study. Excuse me. 
for it is in the old castle that he prefers to live, the modern house, which he built some five and twenty years ago, remaining always outside his natural sympathies, especially its drawing room, but one cannot have a modern house without a drawing room or a drawing room without un- without upholstered furniture, and the comfort of a stuffed armchair does not compensate Edward for its lack of design, and he prefers that his hinder parts should suffer rather than his spirits. Every drawing room is, in the first glance, a woman's room, the original harem thrown open to visitors, and his instinct is to get away from women and all things which evoke intimacy with women. He was always the same, even in his hunting days, avoiding the display of horsemanship in front of a big wall if women were about. It was in these early days, when the stables were filled with hunters, that I first went to Tillyra, and walking on the lawn I remember trying to persuade him that the 18th century house which one of his ancestors had built alongside of the old castle on the decline of brigandage would be sufficient for his wants, for you don't intend to become a country gentleman, do you? That he might escape from Tillyra had clearly never occurred to him and he was startled by the idea suggested by me that he should follow his instincts. But the sea sucks back the wave, and he murmured that the old house had decayed and a new one was required. If you spend a few hundred pounds upon the old house, it will last you a lifetime, my dear friend, and it is in much better taste than any house you will build. You think that modern domestic Gothic will be in keeping with the old fortress. He must have suspected I was right, for his next argument was that the contract had been signed and to break it would cost several hundred pounds. Better pay several hundred than several thousand, and your Gothic house will cost you twenty, and never will it please you. For a moment it seemed as if he were going to reconsider the matter. And then he added, adduced a large, a last argument in favour of the building his mother wished it. But my dear friend, unless you're going to marry, so large a house will be a burden. Going to marry? Well, everybody will look upon you as an engaged man. A shadow crossed his face, and I said, I've touched the vital spot, and rebellion against all authority being in my instinct, I incited him to rebel. After all, your mother has no right to ask you to spend so much money, and she wouldn't do so unless she thought you were going to marry. I suppose she wouldn't. But not on that occasion, nor any other, could I induce him to throw the architect's plans into the fire, and why blame him for his lack of courage, for it is my, for it is natural to man to yield something of himself in order that there may be peace in his home. Edward yields completely to authority once he has accepted it. His mother's clear and resolute mind was perhaps more sympathetic to me than to him, and turning to her in my officiousness, I said, thinking to frighten her, will that house be finished for 15,000? The painting and the papering aren't included in the estimate, but a few thousand more will finish it, and I have promised to finish it for him. That the spending of so much money should cost her no scruple whatever surprised me, and to explain her to myself, I remembered that she belonged to a time when property was secured by its owner by laws. The land acts which were then coming into operation could not change her point of view. Edward must build a large and substantial house of family importance, and when his house was finished he could do no otherwise than marry. She should ask all the young ladies of her acquaintance to come see them, 
and among the many Edward might find one to his liking, this hope often transpired in her talks about Edward, and she continued to cherish it during the building of the house, in spite of her suspicions that Edward's celibacy was something more than the whim of a young man, who thinks that a woman might rob him of his ideals. She could not admit to herself any more than you can, reader, or myself, that we came into the world made as it were to order, contrived so that we shall run down certain lines of conduct. We are not determinists except in casual moments of no importance, and we like to attribute at least our misfortunes to circumstances, but never looking beyond the years of childhood, just as if the greater part of man's making was not done before he came into the world. Edward was a bachelor before he left his mother's womb. But how was his mother to know such a thing, or to sympathise with such an idea? All the instruction we get from the beginning of our lives is to the effect that man is free, and our every action seems voluntary, that we cannot understand that our lives are determined for us. Another illusion is that nothing is permanent in us, that all is subject to change. Edward's mother shared that illusion, but for a much shorter time than many other women would have done, partly because her intelligence allowed her to perceive much and to understand much that would have escaped an inferior woman, and partly because Edward never tried to hide his real self, wearing always his aversion on his sleeve. So it could not have been later than two years after the building of the house that the first thought crossed her mind, that though she had ruled Edward in every detail of his daily life since he was a little boy, she might still fail to reach the end which she regarded as the legitimate end of life, a wife for her son and grandchildren for herself. He has built a modern house, but before it is quite finished he has decided to live in the old tower, she said to me, and the furniture which had been made for his sitting room filled her, I could see, with dread. A less intelligent woman would have drawn no conclusions from the fact that a table taken from a design by Albert Durer and six oaken stools with terrifying edges, were to be furniture of the turret chamber, reached by cold, moist, winding stairs, and that his bedroom too was to be among the ancient walls. Look at his bed, she said, as narrow as a monk's, and the walls whitewashed like a cell, and nothing upon them but a crucifix. He speaks of his aversion from upholstery, and he can't abide a cushion. She has begun to understand that there are certain natures which cannot be changed, I said to myself. She understands in her in her subconscious nature already. Soon she will understand with her intellect that he, who lies in that bed by choice, will never leave it for a bridal chamber. Life affords no more arresting drama than the fatality of temperament, which irrevocably separates two people bound together by the closest natural ties, and the poignancy is heightened, when each is sensitive to the duty which each bears the other, when each is anxious to perform his or her part of the contract, and all the drama is still further heightened when both become aware that they must go through life together without any hope that they will ever understand each other better. This drama is curious and interesting to the looker-on who is able to appreciate the qualities of the mother and the son, the son's imaginative temperament always in excess of and overruling his reason and his mother's clear, practical intelligence, always unable to understand that her son must live the life that his nature ordained him to live. Again and again, in the course of our long friendship, he has said if you had been brought up as severely as I was, a sudden scruple of conscience, a shyness of soul, stays the end of the phrase on his large, loose mouth. 
But by brooding on his words, I understand them to mean that his mother imposed obedience upon him by appealing to his fear of God and aggravating this fear by a severe training in religious dogma. It is easy to do this. A little child's mind is so sensitive and so unprotected by reason that a stern mother is one of the great perils of birth. If the boy is a natural boy with healthy love of sex in his body, the wife or mistress will redeem him from his mother. But if there be no such love in him, he stands in great danger, for from woman's influence the son of man may not escape, and it would seem that whoever avoids the wife falls into the arms of the mistress, and he who avoids the wife and the mistress becomes his mother's bond slave. Let's leave it there. What's going on, Edward? What is it about you? Is he simply a gay man? Is that what it is? Or is it something else? Uh, it's hard to really put a, put a, a, a name to it when the author refuses to just sort of say, straight up say whatever he's trying to say. All right, folks, good listening. See you tomorrow.